Well, dear friends, our text this morning now, as we hear from the living God in his word, is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10, and along with that, Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through chapter 12, verse 9. Please have your Bibles open to Hebrews to start with, if you would, as we continue this morning in our study of faith. We begin a new section of Hebrews 11 this morning. Verses 8 to 22 of chapter 11 focus now on the faith of the patriarchs and matriarchs of Israel. And so it will come as no surprise at all, I'm quite sure, to learn that the primary example of faith in this section of Hebrews 11 is Abraham. Though the line of faith stretches back beyond Abraham through Noah and Enoch and Abel, as we have seen to the very earliest of days, it is Abraham who is regarded as the father of the faithful. Abraham's faith was celebrated in the Old Testament times. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, for example, the Levites extol the Lord as they laud Abraham's faith. You are the Lord, they pray, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. In the New Testament, none holds a candle to Abraham. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul writes, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. James chapter 2 verse 23 says Abraham's faith was such that he was called a friend of God. Those who would claim to be Abraham's children must demonstrate faith as he did, our Lord says in John chapter 8 verses 39 and following. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, Jesus says. The Apostle Paul makes a similar point in Romans 4, verses 11 and 12, where he says Abraham is the father of those who walk in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had. And when we do, we are privileged to be named among his offspring. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, Paul writes in Galatians 3, verse 29. Heirs according to the promise. So even among a long list of faithful examples, Abraham rightly stands out as the man of faith. And just as the amount of space given him in the Genesis narrative is immense, so also does the pastor writing Hebrews now portray Abraham more fully than any other in this gallery of the faithful we have in chapter 11. Specifically, the pastor pursues four examples from Abraham's life. The first two we take up today in verses 8 to 10. The third example turns our attention actually to Sarah and the birth of Isaac in verses 11 and 12, where we'll be next week. And then the fourth example comes later in verses 17 to 19, focused then on the sacrifice of Isaac. This morning... 
we begin our look at Abraham's faith in verses 8 to 10 and the first two examples that we find there. Both of these examples pertain to God's promise of a place. But because they're distinct examples, and you can see they are distinct examples by the placement of the key words by faith, there at the start of verse 8, and then again at the start of verse 9. And so because they are distinct, we'll talk about them separately. In verse 8, we'll first consider faith's call, and then in verses 9 and 10, we'll consider faith's cost. Faith's call in verse 8, and then faith's cost in verses 9 and 10. Those will be the hooks to hang our thoughts on as we go. And we begin then in verse 8 by focusing on the call of faith. By faith, the pastor writes in verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Here the pastor explicitly refers to the initial call of Abraham that's recorded in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. You can have a look back there now at Genesis, if you would, to the passage that Echo read for us a few minutes ago. The story of Abraham begins after a brief biography of his father Terah at the end of Genesis chapter 11. But it's in Genesis 12 verse 1 that we come to the verse in question here. We know that because the Greek word in Hebrews 11 verse 8 that's translated to go out is the same as the word that's used in God's command in Genesis 12 verse 1 in the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Genesis 12 verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go, or in the Greek, go out from your country to the land that I will show you. Now, at first it may not be entirely clear, but the call described here in Genesis 12 verse 1, to which the pastor refers in Hebrews 11, is in fact the call that came to Abram when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. That's a little confusing because chapter 11, verse 31, talks about how Terah took Abram and Lot and Sarai, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan, the text says, and then they stop in Haran, right? So you'd be forgiven for thinking that Terah was the one who wanted to move, and so he took Abram and Lot with him, but it turns out that's not the full picture because the scriptures make clear that the call was given to Abram and that the call happened in Ur. In Genesis 15 verse 7, when God later affirms his covenant with Abram, he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. The prayer that we read earlier from Nehemiah chapter 9 says the same. But it's most clearly spelled out for us in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, by Stephen. When Stephen begins his defense before the Sanhedrin, listen to Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 4. 
Stephen says there, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. You hear that? Stephen says, And God said to him there in Mesopotamia, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. That's quoting Genesis 12, verse 1. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, Stephen continues. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So the picture we get when we put it all together is that it was in Ur that Abram saw the glory of God and heard the call of God to depart and go to a land that God would show him. Perhaps Abram somehow convinced Terah to leave with him, but then when they got to Haran, it, the text says they settled there. I don't know how much to make of that. Maybe it was Terah who wanted to stay, I'm not sure. But whatever the reasons, and whether he knew it or not at first, settling in Haran wasn't what Abram was supposed to do. And so, as Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, God removed him from there. The point is, the pastor here in Hebrews 11 refers to the call of Genesis 12 verse 1, and we can now confidently understand that that call is the one that came when Abram was still in Ur of the Chaldeans. We don't know how exactly Abram understood the call of the Lord, but he did. Likely it was some form of divine visitation. Stephen says the Lord appeared to Abraham. However it happened, the point the pastor makes in verse 8 is that when Abram heard that call, Abram obeyed. And he obeyed when he was called, the ESV says, which is right and worth emphasizing because the syntax there suggests that Abram's response of obedience was immediate. Abram's life of faith began with an immediate act of obedience. Literally, one could translate it, Abraham being called, obeyed. Or better yet, as soon as Abraham was called, he obeyed. There was, it seems, no hesitation, no procrastination. Preparations were immediately set underway. And it reminds me a bit of Noah here. If you remember last week, when the pastor said, Noah, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. Precisely the thing he had been commanded to do. Likewise, Abraham. The Lord says in Genesis 12, verse 1, Go out from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then in the Genesis text, what's the first thing it says after we read the Lord's promises that are given to Abram in verses 2 and 3? It says next in Genesis 12, verse 4, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. I mean, on one level, it's simple, isn't it? Abram obeyed the Lord. And he did it right away. He prepared right away to go out from Ur. 
But on another level, of course, it's not simple at all. The Genesis passage doesn't dwell on this, and neither does Hebrews 11, but just pause to reflect for a moment on what a big deal that is. The God of the Bible was not known or worshipped in Ur of the Chaldeans. This action that Abraham immediately begins would have made no sense to anyone Abram knew. And we have to remember what Joshua says about Abram in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. Joshua says, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So in a setting in which no one knew the Lord, Abram somehow hears the call and then think what it means. It means leaving an established place, for starters. Ur, the city of Ur, was on the Euphrates River in what is today southern Iraq. It was already an ancient city, even in Abraham's time. We know it had an elaborate system of writing, sophisticated mathematical calculations, educational facilities, business and religious records, treasures that were uncovered there in an excavation of Ur in the early 20th century help us to understand that Abram's social and religious context in Ur was sophisticated and darkly pagan. Given the fact that Abram was able to move some other family members with him, it seems reasonable to assume that Abram was a prosperous man and settled as a citizen in Ur. So then we can begin to understand something of how Genesis 12 verse 1 speaks both of the immensity of God's command and the agonizing nature of Abram's decision. I imagine it was. Go out from your country, the Lord said. Go out from your kindred, that is, your people. Go out from your father's house, that is, from your own family. Let's not pretend this was an easy thing to do. And yet, based on hearing God's call, Abram risked everything to follow him. Why? Well, because Abram had faith, brothers and sisters. And faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, is the assurance of things hoped for. For Abram, that meant the things listed in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. The Lord said, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We already know that Abram and Sarai have no children, right? That was stated already in Genesis chapter 11 verse 30. These promises are astonishing. They go way beyond Abram's own future family and the point is, Abram believes it. He trusts the Lord's promises. He obeys the Lord's commands. Brothers and sisters, faith is living 
as if God's power for the present is real and God's promise for the future is secure. So that well before we even come to Genesis chapter 15 and the text that first explicitly states that Abram believed the Lord, the text that Paul famously picks up on in both Romans and Galatians, before even then, we see that Abram's faith began long before, as the pastor writing Hebrews now points out. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. He dared to leave his homeland only because he trusted in God. And it's made all the more remarkable when we realize that Abram was not told where he was going. Right? Hebrews says that explicitly. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, a careful reading of Genesis 12 bears that out. He didn't know. Because God didn't tell him. All God said was that it would be the land that I will show you. Concerning that fact, John Calvin comments, It is no ordinary trial of faith to give up what we have in hand in order to seek what is afar off and unknown to us. And yet, faith sets out nonetheless in response to God's call. It has to, because in truth, none of us knows our earthly future. Faith does not see the end at the beginning. Abraham did not have a crystal clear plan, a vision that mapped out where he would be in five or 10 or 50 years. Rather, he met God. He heard God's call and at great cost to himself and surely with much perplexity, Abram obeyed and went. For us, God's call may come as we hear God's word preached or when we read the scriptures or we may begin to see it when we see something Christ-like in the life of another person or hear the word spoken to us by a fellow believer that stirs us up. But somehow, however it is that we hear the call, the example of Abraham teaches us something critical. That God calls us not merely to believe some abstract facts, but to obey his call and to follow him in order to receive the final inheritance, even when we know not what comes next. For Abram, it meant rising and going where he was commanded as the manifestation of his trust in God and his promises. It may not mean exactly that same thing for us, but then again, it might. I like how one preacher puts it. We begin the life of faith not knowing where we are going. At the beginning, most of us, Abraham included, could not handle an awareness of all that will happen in and to us, all that will be required, all that we will give up and receive along the journey of faith. Like us, Abraham really didn't know what was in store, but he had met God and heard his call. Imagine what Abraham's friends and neighbors would have thought about him. As he was packing, they would surely have asked, where are you going? 
To this, he could only have replied, I do not know. I have been called by God to follow him. Imagine their response and then realize that it will be no different for you. People will ask you, if you answer God's call in faith, why are you giving up the pleasures of sin? Why are you throwing your life away to serve where God calls you? Why are you obeying the Bible instead of doing what's popular? And you, like every believer since Abraham's time, must only reply, even if with much difficulty, because I have met God, and he has called me I know not where, but I must obey, for I want to be saved by faith in him. Having then considered in verse 8 Abraham's faith in how he responded obediently to the call of God, we turn then in verses 9 and 10 to consider further faith's cost. Only I don't mean to suggest that there were no costs already involved in Abraham responding to the call. Indeed, there were, as we just discussed. The point is rather that that wouldn't be the end of those costs, as verse 9 now makes clear. For as Abraham demonstrates, the authentic life of faith demands that we be pilgrims in this world, brothers and sisters. It is Abram's sojourn in Canaan that provides the pastor's next example of faith. Listen again to verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the pastor writes, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Only if I would be permitted to make one critical adjustment to the translation of that verse, in the ESV at least, it would be to change the wording, by faith he went to live in the land, to by faith he sojourned in the land. The verb in the Greek there is paroikeo. Paroikeo can mean to live temporarily somewhere, or it can mean, as I think it does here, it can have the idea of staying or remaining, but as a foreigner. The NIV captures this better, I think, when it says Abraham made his home like a stranger. The NASB says he lived as an alien in the land. That's also good, but I still think to translate it as sojourning is best. In Genesis chapter 23, much later, after Abram's wife Sarah dies, Abraham goes to the Hittites. Do you remember this moment? He's in Canaan, but he goes to the Hittites in Genesis 23 because he wants to buy just a little piece of the promised land to bury his dead, including Sarah. And do you remember what Abraham says in Genesis 23, verse 4? He calls himself a sojourner. And the word that's used in the Septuagint translation is a paroikos. Abraham calls himself a paroikos. It's the noun form of the verb we find in our passage here, paroikeo. 
Abraham calls himself a paroikos. Genesis 23, verse 4, Abraham says to these Hittites in the land, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of sight. Do you hear that? I am a sojourner. What's the point of using this very verb here in Hebrews 11 verse 9? I don't think it's just to say he went to live in the land of promise. At least not to live in the way you and I might naturally read that at first. The point is rather to say that by faith, Abraham sojourned in the land. He lived his whole life in the land of promise as in a foreign land pastor says. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. I mean, this is the man from sophisticated, prosperous Ur of the Chaldeans, you see. Yes, we saw something of how difficult it would have been to obey God's call to set out from there in the first place, but to then be expected to live for the rest of your life as a sojourner, moving from place to place in tents. Think back here to Genesis 12 just once more. We, we won't go into it all in detail, but what comes after that triumphant moment in verse 4 of Genesis 12 when it says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him? Well, if you're there, look at verse 5 in Genesis 12. It says, and Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, which just parenthetically, I don't think that means slaves. I actually think it means Abram made proselytes of some of the people in Haran, but that would be another sermon where I think Abram was actively sharing his story and faith in the Lord, even at that point. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they come to the land of Canaan, the text says, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then, and only then, right? Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. But, wait a minute. <laughs> to your offspring, I will give this land? I mean, wasn't it supposed to be for Abraham? Well, actually, no, it wasn't. Listen again to Stephen speaking in Acts chapter 7 here, because this is critical. Right after Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, verse 4, God removed Abraham from Haran into this land in which you are now living. Do you remember what he then says in Acts chapter 7, verse 5? God removed him into this land. Yet, Stephen says, he gave Abraham no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, Stephen says. You get the point. What God said in Genesis 12 verse 1 was, go to the land that I will show you. Well, Abraham went to it, and he himself gets none of it, brothers and sisters. 
It's promised to his offspring, which is a big deal, as we'll see next week, because as of yet, there is no offspring of Abraham. And he's not young at this point, right? But that's for next week. For now, the point's just right here. Abraham himself inherits none of the land. And then we get a taste of what's to come for him in the rest of the Genesis 12 passage, I think. He's, he's passed through the land. He builds an altar to the Lord. Then verse 8 of Genesis 12 says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. And what does he do? He pitched his tent. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. But then what does verse 9 say? And Abram journeyed on. Still going toward the Negev. He pitched his tent, he built an altar, and he journeyed on. And so it would be for the father of faith for the rest of his life. He was a sojourner. Here's my question. Would you and I be happy with that arrangement? The authentic life of faith demands that we be pilgrims in this world, brothers and sisters. You and I are not to ground our lives too deeply in the present. Now, this is not to say that place or land do not matter. They do matter. The Lord promises those things to Abraham's offspring. He wants a place for his people. Theirs will be a land, but... Even when the people of Abraham will eventually, and it doesn't happen soon, even when they will eventually come to that land, turns out that the land wasn't the ultimate goal after all. Do you remember when we were in Hebrews 3 and 4, many, many months ago? The wilderness generation didn't enter the land due to their disobedience, if you recall, their disbelief. But where is the promise actually located? When do we really come to the rest of God, according to the pastor writing Hebrews? It wasn't even when Joshua took them into the land. If you remember how in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, the pastor says. Simply put, dear friends, this world, or at least this world in its fallen state of sin, this world isn't our home. And if we believe that, well then how are we to live? How are we to live in a world that tells us that what we should do is hunker down and save everything and hedge yourself about with every protection and maximize your comfort and your pleasure? I mean, we're surrounded by that. We're surrounded by a culture that celebrates settling in great homes, aren't we? What's faith's cost in that context? 
Well, simply put, the cost is that faith must be ready to do without all of that in this life. That doesn't mean you'll never have any of it. It doesn't mean it's wrong to own a home, for example. But it would be wrong to make owning a home the highest priority of your life, especially if doing so prevents you from following the call of God. By faith, Abraham sojourned, dear friends. He lived in the land not as its owner, but as a stranger in a foreign land. I like very much how one commentator expresses the point here when he writes this. All unremittingly from beginning to end is by faith. He who begins by faith must continue by faith, for faith is the principle not only of initiation, but also of perseverance. The life of faith did not cease for Abraham when he left Ur of the Chaldees behind him, or when at length he set foot on the territory toward which he had directed his steps. Indeed, the situation into which he moved on his arrival in the land of promise was a more severe trial of his faith than was the call to leave home and kindred. And it was easier for him to live by faith as he journeyed toward a goal as yet unseen than to do so upon reaching this goal and finding that the fullness of all that had been promised, the fullness of all that had been promised, was not yet. To live like an alien, with no better or more permanent shelter than the insecure covering of tents in the very land with which the promise was associated, an existence which by all worldly standards contrasted far from favorably with the stability Abraham had enjoyed in the civilization of Chaldea. This demanded an outstanding degree of faith on the part of Abram, end quote. So here's the final question, dear friends. How did he do it? How did Abraham manage to live by faith in this way for the rest of his life? Well, the answer is in verse 10 of our passage. And in how that verse then connects to something the pastor said back in verse 8. Because the pastor in verse 8, if you looked carefully there, says Abraham obeyed when Abraham was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. But <laughs> you now know that there was no such wording as that in Genesis chapter 12. God did not say to Abraham, you will inherit the land. Of course he didn't. God knew Abraham wouldn't inherit any of it. What does the pastor mean in verse 8 when he talks about a place that Abraham was to receive as an inheritance? <laughs> Here's my read. Notice that the pastor uses the word place in verse 8, not land. That seems intentional to me. Genesis has God saying to Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. If the pastor meant the land, he could have used the word for that just as he does in verse 9, you see. In verse 9, he uses the word for land. He doesn't do that in verse 8. 
Why? I think it's because from the very beginning, what Abraham was to understand, or rather what Abraham would come to understand as he lived by faith, is that what he and all those after him were to inherit wasn't ultimately the land of Canaan. It was another place. It was the place of salvation. Life with God in a place. But that place isn't here, you see. And it wasn't there either in the land of promise. Not ultimately. What the pastor seems to suggest is that Abraham would realize that the attainment of some earthly territory, that wasn't the completion of his pilgrimage. The land of promise, in fact, pointed to a further and more solid reality than that. As one scholar puts it, the testing circumstances of his sojourn within the boundaries of that land were a daily witness to Abram that fulfillment was not here and not yet. So we ask again, how did Abram live out his life as a sojourner in the land of promise by faith? Here's how. Because Abraham knew that the land of promise wasn't what he was living for, brothers and sisters. Verse 10 says it. For the reason why Abraham was able to live as he did in the land was he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Not searching for the city, right? That's not the idea. He wasn't going around searching for it in Canaan. He was looking forward to it as he sojourned. The ESV is precisely correct. He was anticipating it, continually looking forward to it. The point is that the foundations of Abraham's life of faith weren't in the present world, dear friends. Of course they weren't. This is the man who'd heard the call of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Whatever place Abraham and those after him were to receive as an inheritance, it wasn't the land of Canaan itself. And they knew it. To seek their security in the same kinds of foundations and cities in the land of Canaan that Abraham had left behind in Ur would have made no sense. His tent dwelling was precisely a dwelling without foundations in this world. And he was content to endure it. Because as a man of faith, he looked forward with certainty to the attainment of the city. Note that detail in verse 10. He's looking forward to the city that has foundations, not just any city, the one and only city the city of which alone it is eternally true that it has foundations because it has been designed and built by God himself. Yes, it most absolutely is a place. In fact, one day the scriptures promise it will be a place in the new heavens and the new earth. 
It was in anticipation of life in that city, the city of the everlasting age to come, that Abraham could spend his whole life a sojourner. That was the cost of faith, and Abraham was glad to pay it. The question is, are we? Abraham's experience informs us that the life of faith is not, I repeat, is not, one of receiving all God's promises in tangible form in this life. Rather, it is a life of believing those promises and believing them in the face of hardship, receiving them by faith, living obediently as Abraham did, out of confidence and reliance upon God, whatever the circumstances. Abraham was a sojourner, and so are we if we live by faith. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then what does that mean for our lives? Peter tells us two verses later, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's what we are. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Peter begins his letter with the words to those who are God's elect, strangers in the world. That's what we are if we live by faith. Strangers in the world. We live as pilgrims rather than possessors, as strangers in an alien country. We must understand that our long-term interests are not attached to this present world if we are going to live by faith within it. As Paul writes in Philippians 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Abraham is the man of faith. And dear friends, all of us are by faith to be like Abraham. First, to respond to God's call on our lives, to obey and go as God directs, though we know not where the path will take us. And second, to accept the cost by living our entire lives as sojourners in this world, accepting whatever deprivation or trial may come, focused always on our great salvation, knowing that one day, by faith, we too will receive as an inheritance the better country. That is, a heavenly one. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.